BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hey, before we begin the show, I want to talk to you about the All of Us Research Program. Hispanics are the largest ethnic minorities in the U.S., up to 18% of the population. However, we are underrepresented in research studies, only 10%. This gap means researchers know less about our health. Hispanics deserve to be represented in studies so we can know more about our health and be as healthy as possible. As our population grows, so should our participation. Create a better future by participating. Just visit joinallofus.org slash highly relevant. We've seen these things before where we hear about like Las Damas de Blanco, El Movimiento San Isidorio. Social media really has taken a hold of it this time yeah in a in a way that we weren't going to see in the 80s right because it didn't exist but even in the last like five years we haven't seen anything take hold to this magnitude being shared across the world <laughs> That was Ish, the Cuban-American co-host of the podcast Pero Let Me Tell You, based in Miami, discussing his reaction to the protests in Cuba. We'll hear more from him and his co-host DJ later on in the show. My name is Jack Rico, and welcome to episode 154 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. Today on the episode, we talk the Cuban protests. Will Cuba achieve its freedom, or will it go back to another 60 years of communism. And before we get to them, the Emmy nominations came out this week. And disclaimer, I am a voting member of the Television Academy who votes for the primetime shows. Seven Latinos in major categories overall were nominated for the Emmys this year compared to zero last year. So this 2021 means that we've made some progress, but we could have had more. So let me go through the nominations and then I'll tell you why Latino shows weren't nominated or other Latino actors as they should have been. We begin with perhaps the biggest news coming from the Emmys, and that's trans actor MJ Rodriguez, who is now the first transgender performer to earn an Emmy nomination in a lead acting category for the FX series Pose. Rodriguez is nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, and it's definitely a historic nomination for the Latinx universe and the transgender universe, to say the least. Then Lin-Manuel Miranda was nominated for an Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for playing Hamilton in the stage recording of the Broadway musical. Now, this comes as a surprise since the show is five years old, but it shows how voters really feel about Lin and the show. Also, six other actors from the film adaptation were nominated, including Anthony Ramos. 
After 28 years, Rosie Perez has come back to the Emmys. She is nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy for HBO Max's The Flight Attendant. That's the one with Kaylee Cuco. The last time she was nominated was not even for acting. It was for choreography from the show In Living Color back in 1993. So it's great to have the wonderful and very charismatic Rosie Perez back at the Emmys. Now, you know Anya Taylor-Joy. She is the actress from The Queen's Gambit, if you haven't seen it on Netflix. Uh, She considers herself Argentine and is enjoying her first Emmy nod for The Queen's Gambit. She's nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie, and she speaks a lot of Spanish, actually, very fluently, and had a chance to speak Spanish on SNL's opening monologue, so she's not afraid to speak Spanish. So she is our Latina there. Also earning nominations this year is another Argentine-American in Alexis Bledel for Guest Actress in a Drama for The Handmaid's Tale. And finally, Colombian Sergio Trujillo. He is one of my favorite people in show business. He is the Tony-winning Broadway choreographer of the musicals Jersey Boys and Ain't Too Proud for outstanding choreography for variety or reality programming for Christmas at Rockefeller. There's also dozens of Latino editors, too many to name here, who have been nominated as well in editing categories. Remember, there's 25 categories, but the major ones are about maybe six or seven. Uh, Now, this is my first year voting for the Emmys, and how you become eligible is that you have to be in the business. So I had a show on NBC and Telemundo called Consumer 101. That allows me to be eligible to be able to be a part of the Television Academy. You also have to pay a fee, and once you pay the fee to get in, now you can start voting. And I was given every show that's aired from June 1st, 2020 to May 31st, 2021. So if your show has not aired within that bracket of time, then your show is not eligible. So we chose from a streaming app that the Emmy has, and much of the criticism for years has been that Latinx talent are not chosen because we don't have any shows or performers. Yeah, but, you know, we'd like to vote for you, but there's nothing to pick from. Well, this year, that's a little bit of a white lie. Uh, We do have shows and we do have talent, but majority groups are not voting for them. So here's an example. I voted for the Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series and voted for seven Latinos that did not get picked. The ones that did get picked were Carl Clemens Hopkins, Brett Goldstein, Brendan Hunt, Nick Mohammed, Paul Reiser, Jeremy Swift, Keenan Thompson, and Bowen Yang. Now, out of that list, there were many, many other actors that you can choose from, and a lot of them were Latinx. For example, where was Miguel Chavez from AP Bio that I voted for? Guillermo Diaz and Miguel Sandoval from Social Distance. Sidney May Diaz from Generation Plus. James Martinez from Love, Victor. Oscar Nunez and Jacob Vargas from Mr. Iglesias. I voted for all of them, and none of them were voted for the nominations. None of them narrowed them down. There weren't enough votes for all these Latinx actors to be nominated. So this doesn't mean that there's not enough talent to vote for. It's just that the people and the majority of the Emmy members aren't voting for them. I am, not because of a sense of, you know, cultural duty, but just because I like like a lot of their work. 
And I think they should be nominated. And I think we should be looking at different people, not just the same old, same old. Because sometimes the Emmys does feel, and most voting memberships, always feels like it's a popularity contest. Bowen Yang, I like a lot, but it's really almost his first year in SNL. And he's become very popular because he's very talented. But so are the other Latinos that could have been nominated. But before we talk Cuba, it's time I give you my weekly review of what's happening in Latinx pop culture in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie, TV, and music news of the week. Cristela Alonso to host CW's reimagining of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Eugenio Derbez will star in Netflix's Loteria, and his romantic comedy The Valet has been acquired by Hulu and Disney+. Netflix has canceled Mr. Iglesias, another Latinx show. Lisa Vidal, Jaina Lee Ortiz, and Carlos Miranda to star in the crime action heist feature Shelter. Michael Peña to co-star in Paramount's Secret Headquarters. Pedro Pascal and Carlos Luna to star in the live-action adaptation of the hit video game series The Last of Us. Uruguayan horror director Fede Alvarez releases Don't Breathe 2, directed by Rodo Sayagues, and Disney has released a teaser trailer for the animated movie Encantos about Colombia. And in tech and social media news, Facebook will invest $1 billion in creators of content. Twitter is shutting down Fleet, their ripoff of Snapchat and Instagram stories. Clubhouse launches its DM feature back channel to have private conversations outside of rooms. You can now post photos and videos on Instagram from your desktop. The iPhone 13 might be launching this September a Super Mario 64 game sells for a record-breaking $1.5 million at auction, and Spotify and TikTok team up for a premium subscription trial. All right, let's talk Cuba. I'm joined by my two podcast Cuban friends from Miami, DJ and Ish who host a podcast called Pero Let Me Tell You about their musings on news, politics, culture, arts, and some good humor, too. So let me begin, DJ and Ish. Uh, we'll go with you, DJ, first. When, when you first heard of the protests in Havana, Cuba, and the rest of Cuba, what was your first impression? I think that um, when you're Cuban or Cuban-American, um, when you first hear of a protest, you sort of take it with a grain of sand uh, or grain of salt, some people say, because historically in Cuba, there'll be like some initial resistance or some initial protests, but it gets it gets cut off really quick, like a, a day at most. Uh, we've seen this particularly with like the Dama de Blanco. Um, I don't know if maybe your listeners, uh, you know, don't know who they are, but they are um, they are a group of women that dressed in white that usually protect uh, to protest against the government because a loved one of theirs has been uh, incarcerated because they're political prisoners. And you know, as you know, in Cuba, when you go to prison, they put you in there and they throw away the key. Nobody. It's not like here, for example, that you could go visit people. You don't hear from people again. So my first initial reaction was like, well. Here we go again, uh, another s small uprising, and a uh, day from now, this will all be over. Um, but clearly, that has not been the case um, in this matter. Ish, what was your first impression when you heard about the protests? Did you kind of just shrug it off like DJ did, or would you go, hey, wait a minute, this one seems different? It was weird, because actually, I was in South Carolina, um, <laughs> sitting literally around a dinner table with 
my parents, my sister, my brother-in-law, who still has immediate family in Cuba, oh, wow. my cousin and his wife, who's Dominican. And it's just, I mean, I have to say, first and foremost, the, she, the Dominican was the most vocal. She was the one who's just like, you know, didn't end until they killed the guy in charge. Yeah, and I was true. like, I was like, all right, well, that's one way to go. Um, but, you know, I was, I was a little bit, it was weird because obviously we weren't in Miami. Right. So it was like, we're sitting in the middle of South Carolina, Myrtle beach at a restaurant, having this conversation. And it was like, damn, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up, right? Uh, kind of the way that, that DJ was saying, because we've seen these things before where we hear about like Las Damas de Blanco, el Movimiento San Isidorio, you know, and you get you get like that excitement, right? Where you're just like, okay, could this be it? Could this be it? And then it fizzles out, right. you know, for, for obvious reasons because they, they get tampered down very quickly. Um, but it's weird. It just seems like it's different. It, 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 you know, I don't know if it's the length of time. I don't know if it's just, the fact that social media really has yeah. taken a Dominated. hold of it this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a, in a way that obviously we weren't going to see in the eighties, right. Cause it didn't exist. But even in the last like five years, we haven't seen anything take hold to this magnitude being shared across the world. So we know that the protests are happening in Havana and the rest of Cuba, but what is the vibe in Miami uh, as Cuban Americans that live there? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? Uh, how are other Latinos from other countries reacting to the Cuban protests in Miami? That's a great question. Uh, as far as other Latinos, Miami in particular um, has a very, very large Venezuelan community. Um, it also has a, a pretty substantial uh, Nicaraguan community, Honduran. And, you know, a lot of these other Latin American countries have gone through similar things, maybe not communism, but deep corruption in their governments and they all have different different matters in which their respective governments have failed them and the people are living the way they're living in poverty and crime so a lot of times here uh the the forces kind of unite um you know as far as the mood is i mean uh versailles restaurant which is a yeah. cuban restaurant in 8th street it's sort of <laughs> like the, three blocks from where i live oh. so I've been <laughs> it's sort of the epicenter of all things cuba um that has been all this week filled with thousands of people thousands so you know it, it, there's there's a huge huge buzz here um and you know especially now with social media i think that the main thing is that people want to know people want the cubans over there in, in the island to show that we have their back and that mm. you know we're with you and we hear you we hear you because that's that's something that's very important is listening. Um, as I talked about in, in our podcast this week is listening and, and they want the people, you know, the Cubans in, in the Island to know that we are listening and we're supportive. And that's great because, uh, there is really no journalism there. They've banned independent journalism in the Island. Uh, the only gra uh, newspaper is gra Grama, right? Grandma, uh -huh. and uh, and that's state run. So, so where are you really getting your yeah, good your, luck? Your, <laughs> right, good luck uh, yeah. to get any real sourceful, accurate, representative information of what's going on in the island. Ish, you live right next to three blocks away from Versailles. Yeah. What are people saying? <laughs> what's coming out of their mouths? How are you feeling? What's the energy that you're experiencing over there? 
Well, a lot of traffic. Um, but aside from that, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's weird because it's, it feels celebratory in a way. What? While, while, while also somber. Interesting. Right? Like, I think it's the, the celebratory, I guess maybe it's just a perception of it, right? Because you've got people coming out on the street in their cars, honking their horns, you know, waving flags and things like that. And I think historically, we've seen that type of behavior when there's been some type of happiness or, or excitement about something in terms of a development. Mm. I mean, I know it's, it's not a, I know it's not an apples to apples, but you know, we'll use the death of Fidel Castro, right? There was a certain degree of happiness and, and celebration in Miami when that happened. And it's that same visually, it's that same type of reaction, right? Where you've got the people with the signs, people, you know, honking the horns and waving the flags and, bla- you know, blasting the music, whether it be, you know, Chirinos Ya Viene Llegando or the, the <laughs> Cuban National Anthem. or So it, that's what I mean. Like, there, there's a weird, it seems celebratory at face value. Mm-hmm. But if, if you scratch the surface, you understand that it's, it's not about that. It's about making that noise and, and, and really just vocalizing the support. Right. Yeah, and, and I think to piggyback on what he's saying, you know, anytime there's a iota of movement in Cuba, which is very, very slow and small, <laughs> um, it, it, the mood does feel celebratory in the sense that because this has been going on for 62 years. Right. And yeah. This could be it. This could be the moment. Right, right, and, it's, right. and it's ironclad. You know, Cuba until now, until recently, I mean, you just did not know of people, of your family in Cuba to, to make a phone call. It was... I mean, if you could get through, you had to then you, you have to measure what you said because they would listen on your phone calls. I know. You don't know when the phone call is going to be dis- disconnected. So it, it, it was kind of like the Caribbean, North Korea, like like <laughs> a completely, completely isolated. So the moment that anything comes up, it's kind of like, could it be now? Like, it, 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 you know, it, it, it is now the time. Um, and that's why people can't help but they're rejoiced in some way um, thinking that this could be it. Do you both, do you both have family members in Cuba? So I have, I always say that my, in terms of my immediate family, my family were the last ones to come. Um, I was actually born in Cuba and um, my parents, my parents came right before the Marriott boat lift, like, three months before. And um, the family that I have left are like second cousins and, and things like that. So I don't have like parents or grandparents left, uh-huh. um, but we've always remained very much in touch with them. Um, so the only family that I have left in terms of like just close, close family would be my, my grandmother's sister who I've met several times because she's come here. But you know, my, like similar to DJ, you know, my mother has cousins over there. Um, actually, the the lady who is the caretaker for my grandmother has pretty much all her family over there. So, you know, e- even though there's not that, like her sister's over there, so it's not a direct family, but you know, the thing about Miami is if, if you're here long enough and, and you know, you know, somebody who's Cuban, you do know someone who has that, that immediate connection. So there is still that ability to empathize and to understand, even if, you know, on my on my end, you know, uh, the close family that we had there was the older generation, so to speak. They started dying off, so I don't maybe have that same direct connection. 
but I still have that emotional connection. So uh, as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you about what is it that you think Cuban Americans want from Cuba right now? What do Cubans want from Cuba right now? Because as much as you hear about a million man march happening in Cuba, you're also hearing about tons of protesters that are that are defending the Castro regime or now the uh, the new regime. Right. Do, do Cuban Americans in Miami want every Cuban to come to Miami so they can live right. together and be happy together? Or is it we can't wait for Cuba to be free so we can go back to Cuba? Ooh, that's a, it's complicated. That, that's a complicated it's, question, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try and I'm, and I'm sure he will take a stab at it yeah. too. So there's a reason he saved it for last. So, he knew it was going to get complicated. Here's the thing. Um, as far as the Cuban people in Cuba, are there Cuban people in Cuba that are communist? Of course. Um, uh, of course there are. Is it the, the large majority? No, it's not. What is important in that in, in this conversation to know, and, and this is something that we can base this on lived experience and firsthand experience, is that a lot of times when you see these marches in Cuba going on in the Plaza de Revolución that are pro-Fidel or pro-Castro and pro-Comunismo, y que había revolución, people are forced to go to these um uh, you know, uh, marches. marches and protests. They are forced. Like, they don't have an option. It's uh, the state-run protest, essentially. Ex exactly. Like, I, I remember that my, my father's family in particular were very counter-revolutionist, how they would knock on their doors because in Cuba, in every block, there's somebody from El Comité, which is kind of like, imagine Big Brother watching over you. Um, the neighborhood snitch. Exactly. How the person from El Comité would knock on their door and be like, tienen que ir al parque, whatever. And there's going to be a revolution, a pro-revolution march, and you have to go. So, wow. um, yeah, that's why when I hear people say, oh, but I've seen the people in Cuba all dressed in white with the red pañuelo, like, go, chanting, yeah, yay, communism. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't tell the whole story, right? Mm. Um, so I just think that in terms of the, the Cubans in Cuba, they want they want their freedom. They want their freedom and the ability to have the autonomy to pick their own government because what's important in any conversation about Cuba is that to bring up the fact that they have not had free and fair elections in 62 years. I know. Um, so, I mean, we could talk about the embargo, we could talk about the effects it's had, we could talk about all these things, but the underlying issue is they haven't had um, elections in over 62 years. So let's take a quick break from an interview with DJ Anish to talk about the All of Us Research Program. Hispanic culture is pop culture. We are leaving our mark everywhere from music to food to fashion to podcasts. One place where we need to make an impact is scientific research. All of Us wants to include our voices in research so we have a better idea of how unique we are genetically and to see if we're prone to other diseases. Did you know individuals of Puerto Rican descent are roughly twice as likely to develop diabetes as someone with South American heritage? Join the revolution by participating in All of Us. Visit joinallofus.org slash highly relevant. Now back to our interview. I now want to ask you about the embargo. This embargo, according to the regime, they're saying, hey, listen, it's not just us. We are part of the problem, but it's not just us. Should these sanctions be lifted? I think so. But is that the urgent thing at the moment? So, I, I, look, we can make the argument that the embargo has been 
around for 60 plus years and they're still there, right? So the embargo, at least in its current form, it has not worked, right? Like I think we can all agree it hasn't done what it was set out to do to get them out of power because they're still there, right? I, I think we can all right. agree. It didn't but, work. That, 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 let's, set, let's set the tone there, right? However, the embargo as it is written as my understanding and dj please feel free to step in because you are the legal legal eagle here <laughs> it does not prevent the receipt of food or medical aid and you can also send send money but not like you used to before now f- half of it i think is blocked or something well yes and so my understanding is that essentially that even with that in place the government has basically taken an all or nothing stance right. so it's like either you let it all come through or no, even those things that you say that you would allow to come through that would benefit like food, medicine, et cetera, we're going to no. decline that as well. Right. So now we're not talking about the embargo being the problem. Now we're talking about your being una cabeza dura. Right. <laughs> and, right? And look, the embargo is a very touchy subject uh, among both, both sides, right? Because the more left side says that Cuba is the way it is because of the embargo, and the more right side says that, no, you must have a, an embargo on Cuba, right? Um, I, I personally think, to answer your question directly, I think the, the embargo is archaic. Uh, policy. It's it's not good policy. Um, as I said, it clearly hasn't worked. Um, but listen, the embargo, we could criticize it all we want, and it could be lifted. But the embargo is not the reason why people don't have freedom of speech. The embargo is not right. the reason there isn't a free press. The embargo is not the reason there haven't been free and fair elections in Cuba. The embargo is not the reason that Cubans don't have the ability to have rights and speak against their government. So, you know, any talk of the embargo that is not policy driven, I think is a distraction to the real problem in Cuba, which which is communism, which is communism and a dictatorship. Uh, well, you know, I hope things get better. I hope the people of Cuba, you know, uh, achieve their freedom like every other great country in the world. Uh, I know we in here in America, we got our problems but nothing to the devastation of what's been happening in Cuba. And man, my support as a Colombian uh, American to Thank you. you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. And we need more people like you, you know, to really help amplify the message because for two Cubans or two Cuban Americans to say it, everybody's like, oh yeah, well you're biased. Of course you're going to take a certain stance. Right. But it's when people like yourself, you know, take an interest and help amplify the message that we feel it really broadens the scope and 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 generates more conversation about what's really happening. Right, and, and we really appreciate, okay, you know, Colombia has had their share of problems and I know that you... you oh yeah, here. like a month ago, no, hold on. Yes, yeah. yes, you know, and it's kind of a, a situation that in a, lot of, in a lot of these problems, we're kind of all in this together. You know, we've all yeah. suffered in different ways by different entities, but the, the Latin community as a whole, most Latin American countries have gone through sorry to swear some shit together so um so you know thank you for using your platform to you know amplify and and give voice to this problem because the cuba problem like a lot of other issues is i I believe there's a narrative problem and and a lot of people either don't know or uh, you know something i always say is that i'm always very like frustrated and disheartened how the American populace just is so unaware of like problems in Latin America, like just 
whatever. Um, so thank you for using this platform to give voice to, um, you know, and this issue in particular with Cuba. Well, thank you very much, DJ and Ish, hosts of the podcast, Pero Let Me Tell You, which you can find on all streaming podcast platforms. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, you. And before I wrap up here, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Cábala, Xiomara Fortuna. Cortar, Raquel Sofía featuring Los Macorinos. O Kills y Melissa Robles. That's it for episode 154 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank DJ and Ish for being on the show. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel value in what we do. Also, we have a new podcast about race and pop culture called Brown and Black with Mike Sargent and me. It's available on all podcast platforms. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.